0: This is CyByte, episode 123 for March 11th, 2014. and welcome back to Sci Bite, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly science podcast, live on a Tuesday and fresh on a Wednesday over at jupiterbroadcasting.com. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our host, Heather. Hey there, Heather. Hey there, Chris. Hey, Heather, happy science to you. Happy science. So, what are we going to talk about today?
1: Today, we're going to take a look at an infant possibly cured of HIV, a new dinosaur in Europe, antibiotics, curiosity news, and as always, take a peek back in history and up in the sky this week.
0: Oh, sounds like a blockbuster show. Let's kick it off with the news. Okay, Heather, where do we start tonight?
1: All right. Last year, practically a year ago, we were talking about a little girl born in uh, Mississippi or a little boy born in Mississippi that was born with from mother who had HIV and they started the the treatments right away. He had tested positive but, but they did but they started the test, treatments right away. So what that ended up happening was it actually sort of cleared him of the infection.
0: I remember talking about this.
1: Yeah, and so a month after those re about after that came out, another infant was born in Los Angeles. That was, the mother was um, treated as, actually was positive, had not been taking her meds. So they said, all right, well, let's go ahead and just start right away. And they, although uh, they were giving the mother, they gave her the meds as soon as they, she actually came into the hospital. Mm. But in general, HIV moms are actually, you know, treated throughout their pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Like kind of cuts down the chances of the infant getting it. But, so as soon as she came into the hospital, they gave her the drugs. They're like, okay. Within hours after the baby's birth, before the even tests necessarily came back, they were starting the drug. They were starting the drug treatment. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that, yes, the drugs did turn out, the, uh, the test did come out positive. But while they were able to get the drugs on right away, they're actually able to see that, you know, for the first 18 months, he was on the drugs. And then 10 months after the treatment was stopped, all the blood tests were repeated and no HIV was present in the blood as far as they could detect.
0: Right. Wow. So are we dealing with maybe a potentially full-fledged, uh, um, uh, I don't know, can you call it a cure or do you call it a procedure that if you start soon enough, maybe leads to these results? How does that work exactly?
1: Well, they're, that's what they're looking at is they're trying to see in these few cases if they are if the infant is started on the drugs right away. It's possible that as far as the tests they can run, they're not seeing any positive um, things come back now. Yeah. Are they in remission? Are they a cure? It looks more like a, it doesn't look necessarily like remission. Okay. All the tests they see uh, that it's different because those who infections are suppressed from treatment, yeah. it, it does look different. Hmm. So, so it's th- kind of the, rethinking the whole process about how they're almost go eradicated.
0: About- Is that the right way to put it? Almost like it, like it's been eradicated from the body.
1: Kind of. Well, yeah, almost like you catch it early enough where there's not a lot uh-huh. of infection there, so you're able to kind of cut it off at the source almost, and then it's not able to propagate.
0: I see. So this is always, in this case, if this, in this scenario, this is always going to be kind of limited to infants born from HIV-positive mothers, right? I Because mean, you've yeah. got to start it before the infection has a chance to spread, essentially.
1: Yeah. Now, in some of these cases, they're obviously keeping the infant on some sort of med mm-hmm. just because they're kind of trying to play it safe for obvious reasons.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But it's leading them to different views about how to treat this, uh, how to treat it. I mean, in, in another case, they've got some adult um, development going on, too. And so it's not just infants. In about 1% of the population, you have two copies of a gene that gives sort of protection against HIV. And what they're able to do is they're kind of taking those genes and they're modifying them as much as they can. So they take the cells out of about a dozen adults and try to modify those genes to help give them uh, take the donor gene's immunity into these people and then they're able to give them the, give them the treatment back. And they tested it, like I said, 12 people. They had, you know, filtered their blood, treated it, infused them back into the people. Four weeks later, half of the patients were taken off their AIDS meds just temporarily. And the virus returned and all, but one of them, unfortunately, that turned out to actually have a copy of it. But they're hoping that even though this first test didn't necessarily work out as they had planned, that these modified cell um, treatments will—the cells treated and it back into this person's system will somehow be able to outnumber the rest of the cells Yeah, and sort of help control viral levels. They're
0: arming the good guys.
1: Yeah, they're trying to arm <laughs> the good guys, so, hey, can you— completely knock it out can you give the immune system a chance to sort of halfway go right. against it so you can bring down the meds
0: yeah yeah Well, wouldn't that be an awesome win right there is if you could just give the immune system a fighting edge and back off on the medications that have all of the side effects yeah that'd be great i mean that's a great step
1: yeah so it's it's very complicated what's for the pre- the procedures and what is working, what is not working. And it's all yeah, yeah. very kind of edge of medical science, but this is another one of those that's treat what you can and take everything that you can take. Actually. Right. Yeah. Every yeah. small step forward. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Um. In fact, if you guys are curious about this topic, I would recommend uh, go back and listen to Psybite 84, HIV and SpaceX troubles um, from uh, March 5th, 2013. So, that's interesting the timing on that, isn't it?
1: Yes, uh, I saw noticed that. I was like I remember we talked about that. Yeah. I was like, wow.
0: And that was the original story about the about the the, the first time through, and that was yes. really that was the sort of a fascinating uh, piece to if you go listen to that and then you hear this story, it's
1: yeah. Here we are almost was, a year
0: later and that's an interesting update. It's it, yeah, another and this success. Yeah, update
1: is because they start, they saw the first announcement and went, "Hey, let's try that again. Let's see what happens."
0: Yeah, it's interesting how it's it's, it's uh I mean, I guess I I thought I would have seen more active testing, but I guess this is just sort of how the process works on this kind of thing.
1: Yeah, well, there's only so many cases where you have a mother not on her meds. Yeah,
0: okay. It's not
1: like you want to specifically say, hey. Yeah, yeah,
0: right, right. Hey, we want to stop taking that uh, life-saving medication.
1: Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that could help your infant as well.
0: That's going to get somebody fired really quick.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so (laughs) this is one of those few cases where should the worst happen, they're like, hey, this... Is not the ideal situation. Let's try this treatment and see what happens.
0: Very good, Heather. All right. Well, why don't we take a quick break right here? Uh, I want to give you guys a heads up about something fun we're doing this Saturday on the JBLive.tv stream. It's a -a faux-a-thon. So the uh, faux show is doing several back-to-back episodes. We're taping ahead for a few weeks because... Uh, as our new studio is nearing, things are getting crazy here at JBHQ. So probably the best thing to do is check out Jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. If we have to make schedule changes for some shows, we will we will update the calendar to reflect that as soon as we can. Uh, so if your favorite show, if it's not if it doesn't get released at its regular time, I hope I'm hoping to keep it to a minimum. Uh, but if that does happen, you can get updated dates over at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. And of course, you could always follow me on Twitter. I am twitter.com slash Chris LAS or hang out in our chat room. And then they will uh, update you on the status as well because we have uh, bots in there and people in there, actual humans. So jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Keep checking that over the next few weeks as we ramp up to the new studio. That's the best place to go. To keep up to date, if you think something was supposed to be released and you don't see it, go check it out there. All right, Heather, why don't we kick it off with the News bite? So what are we talking about in the News bite today?
1: All right, some small satellite tracking devices attached to little sea turtles swimming off the Florida coast have delivered first-of-a-kind data that could actually help scientists sort of unlock the mystery of what they call the, quote, lost years.
0: Okay, I love everything about what you just said.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, the quote, lost years, referred to the time where sea turtles, like just after they hatch and head out to sea, and they remain at the sea for many years, and then they come back to the shore, near shore waters, as large juveniles. But that time in between, not much is known about what they do and how they interact. Huh. So, before this study, it was kind of inferred through genetic studies sort of opportunistic sightings offshore where people go hey look baby sea turtles little sea turtles and just sort of random occurrences there but this time they were able to track 17 turtles for everywhere from 27 to 220 days out in the open ocean they're using small like solar panel powered little satellite tags awesome So the goal was to better understand the movements, the habitat, you know, the role, maybe temperature, the seas play. This is kind of get a better idea of what's happening to them, where they're happening to them, Mm. and how to help them possibly be not so endangered. Where
0: are they going? What is up? What are they running into? That kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. So it was thought that they kind of hatched off the Florida coast with some long developmental migration in the huge circle around the Atlantic Ocean and sort of along those currents, and then they just came back.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now this new data actually shows that they kind of drop out out of those currents in the middle of the Atlantic, what they call the Sargasso Sea. And that they kind of drop out of the main current, and they stay pretty much at the sea surface, where they expose, you know, the sun's energy. So it could be possible that you know they saw the shells registering more heat than they thought it would mm. from the sensors in the tag. So it's they're thinking this is because they're taking refuge in uh, some of the seaweed at the surface of the ocean to help their body temperature, to regulate that, because they are cold-blooded animals. So if they ha- stay near the sea surface, then it could help them maintain body temperature. And if they kind of hide in the, the seaweed, then they're not direct sun, but they also have a bit of a habitat to be safe in hiding in.
0: That's interesting and makes sense now that we know.
1: Yes. So now they're able to see, you know, hey, where they are, maybe figure out how to, all the different ones that are threatened or endangered species. And so they're got it. You know, the beaches they obviously know are really important. That's where 80% of the turtles go along the Florida coast, mm-hmm. to have their nesting and nursing grounds there. Mm-hmm. So now we know that a lot of different things happen across the Atlantic crossing that we really had no idea about. And so it gives us a much better idea of what happens post the little videos of tiny little sea turtles waddling out to the sea and everybody in crowds going, aww. And bigger sea turtles coming back up to the ocean going, hey, let's chill out.
0: (laughs) Huh. Let's, I, I, I'm looking at this, we don't, do you know any details on this tracking device? It, it looks like it's m- like some sort of gel that's holding it on there. I I, I don't uh, quite exactly know. It looks. Yeah, like they
1: it. didn't necessarily give a lot of details about that. Yeah, yeah I'm they guessing would... they're not
0: drilling a hole, right? I, I...
1: No, and you have to make sure that it's not going to interfere with the, you know, the shell, the growing. Because obviously the little turtle's going to grow quite a bit between... You know, in 27 days is going to be, I mean, it's going from a youngster, so it's still going to be growing very yeah, quickly. Right, up right. to 270 days, you know, three quarters, you know, getting up there three quarters of a year, then yeah. Point. So you want to have it so that it's stuck on there in a way that will last, but is going to be able to, you know, biodegrade off if need be, or to be able to stretch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to, too. you know, match the shell in such a way that it's not going to interfere with the growth rate of that little piece of shell. Yeah. And have, you know, some little solar panels to, you know, get the energy. You want to have the minimal amount possible of data so that you can just ping out, you know, the little bits of data so you can have it as compact as possible.
0: Right. Yeah. So there's
1: a lot of things that are kind of reading between the lines on this stuff. Just because of how other tracking data is taken,
0: Hmm. I guess. uh, I guess I never even thought about it. But it uh, somebody's got to find out what's going on with these turtles and why they're dying off. I'm glad they're doing it. Do you have any thoughts on that story?
1: No, I'm just kind of uh, interesting to see where this one goes. All right, band, come on in because it's time for the two bite news.
0: All right, Heather, what are we talking about in the two bite news?
1: All righty. A new dinosaur species found in Portugal makes be the largest land predator discovered in Europe and as well as one of the largest carnivores in the Jurassic period.
0: A new dinosaur?
1: Yes. And this time Europe has it. Oh, look at them go. So scientists discovered some bones belonging to this dinosaur north of uh, Lisbon in Portugal. They're originally thought to be dinosaur species from North America. Mm. But looking at some of the shin bones, the upper jaw bone, the teeth, they actually had part of the tail vertebrae. They said, hey, this looks like a new species. Torvensaurus ger- gerne- gernei. Hmm, some yeah. of these proper names are really fun. fun. Yeah. <laughs> so the mouth bones have a different shape and structure, number of teeth, the size of them, the shape of the mouth. They're... A lot of different things going on with the skull that actually differentiate the European and the American versions of these dinosaurs to make them have their own species. These teeth are 10 centimeters, are about 5 inches long. Probably was at the top of its food chain right. in the, the Iberian Peninsula. That's where uh, Spain is, that whole little area. Now, they estimate that the dinosaur could probably meet... Uh, ten meters, thirty feet, weigh about four to five tons. <laughs> so it would have been one of the largest terrestrial carnivores of the era. Wow! In itself, probably hunted other large dinosaurs. Um, by the shape of its teeth, they can kind of get that idea.
0: He was a predator. Yes. Yeah.
1: Now it's closely related to some other dinosaurs that they've actually seen uh, proto feathers on. You know, they have uh the imprintations of skin sometimes that they've been able to see mm, yeah, these right. proto feathers on dinosaurs. And yeah. it was similar ones to this. So they think it possibly could have been covered in protofeathers.
0: No kidding. So it was a pretty looking dinosaur at that.
1: <laughs> well, scary, but pretty. Scary, but pretty. Who knows what kind of feather colors there were? That's
0: true. It could have been very scary feathers. I've never seen scary feathers, but if anything was going to have scary feathers, it would be this huge European dinosaur.
1: I'm pretty sure if I saw that dinosaur with those giant teeth coming at me, the feather would suddenly become scary.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a very good point. Well, uh, score one for the good guys. We might have uh, some uh, something against something to battle these drug resistance bac- bacteria that we're hearing more and more about, right?
1: Yes, a team of researchers have discovered a new class, a whole new class of antibiotics to be able to fight drug-resistant bacteria. These oxido... Diazols discovered in silica by a computer screening was shown process in the treatment of uh, these drug-resistant bacteria, MRSA. They screened 1.2 million compounds in order to find this.
0: Wow.
1: But they were able to see that it actually inhibited the penicillin-binding protein in some of these. So it actually shows effective when taking orally, which is... Pretty much only one antibiotic for these drug resistant uh, MRSA, MRSA that can be taken orally. Most of them are by IV. So, this mm. is one that can be taken orally, actually. Mm. So, mm. Well,
0: that gives it a lot of potential for portability and, and uh, storage and ease of use. I mean, that's, that's yes. huge. Yeah. Well, very good. Uh, all right, Heather, what do you say we jump up into space and do a Curiosity update? You ready? Let's go. And lift off of the Atlas V with Curiosity. <gasps> Okay, Heather, how's our favorite rover doing?
1: All right, chugging along pretty nicely. It's been, uh, you know, so we're they've got the whole driving forwards and driving backwards thing every once in a while going on. That's yeah. sort of to minimize the damage that we were talking about to the wheels. Right. And it's pretty much getting well on the way to the next uh, scientific waypoint called Kimberly. Uh, which lies about a half a mile ahead of where they are now. It's got some striations where they can see uh, horizontal um, layers of this of uh, dirt, so they can be able to go and see it. They'll stop there for a little while, kind of get some scientific investigations going on, and they're mapping out via the, uh, the whole route via the uh, Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter. So they've kind of there's a link in the show notes about a big map that they've kind of got laid out. Where it's like, here's where we landed. Here's where we're going, and then little dots about this is a point. A point we want to stop by. This is a point we want to stop by. This is a place we think we're gonna start being able to climb up the hill or climb up the mountain. Mm-hmm. They're kind of getting everything situated and laid out, and getting closer to the next scientific waypoint.
0: Wow, it's neat to see uh, to kind of see a visualization of the journey. It's so cool yeah. to kind of follow this thing just as it goes. It's amazing. Yeah,
1: I like the overhead uh, orbital video yeah. views of. Yeah. where the tracks are.
0: It, it it is really actually so awesome. It's a good time to be doing this kind of science, and that just shows you you don't have to have somebody walking around to still do some good science. We can, we can yeah. get it done with some rope. I know, I know. Well, why don't <laughs> How we would you uh, say such a thing? I know, I know, I know. It'd be better. I'll put it that way. It'd be better. I'll make you feel better. Guess what? Let's jump in a time machine, Heather. Let's come on. Let's go. Let's go. Let's
1: go. Yeah. Okay. Bye. All
0: right. buckle up. This is a long one. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Wow, it's been a while since we've gone this far back. Uh, this yeah. week uh, in science, 233 years ago, March 13th, 1781. Heather, what happened this week in science?
1: Sir William Herschel announced the discovery of Uranus. It is the first planet discovered with a telescope, actually. When he discovered it, he actually labeled it as a comet. He was very determined that it was a comet. He was very hesitant of actually calling it a planet it wasn't until two years later that he finally acknowledged that okay yes it is a planet everyone else had been kind of thinking you know yes let's go we're pretty sure that it is and so he finally admitted it and then a few years later he'd actually discovered two of its uh moons we're actually uh titania and oberon which actually names given by his son oh cool and oddly enough, 84 years ago, on March the 13th, the same day in 1930, Clyde Tombaugh telegra- uh, telegraphed the discovery of Pluto to Harvard College Observatory. Huh. He'd been searching for a year and the, kind of searching the, how he discovered it was uh, photographic plates, which is you take a picture, these were glass plates, images of one night, then. Of a, a night a couple, you know, a couple days later, and you flip between the two. You're like, what's changing? What's changing? Hey, there's a dot that moved. And so you get that. And then, so you have it that way. Then you have Uranus that was discovered so long ago, and that's just because he was tracking, you know, a sets of stars looking for comets. And he's like, hey, that's a fuzzy thing. It's not a star. I bet it's a comet. It looks weird, but I bet it's a comet. Keeps observing it. It's a very slow-moving thing, so... Hmm. Very interesting, both on the same day. Yeah. Very different years.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, 233 and 84. Time machine's busy this week. Yeah. All right, Heather, let me recalibrate this eye by 2000 so we can look up into the sky this week.
1: All right. On Thursday, March the 13th, about an hour after sunset, to the lower left of the moon, you can actually see the star Regulus, which is actually two binary stars together. So that's four different ones, but it's a very bright star. and You'll be able to see it is actually the bottom star of the handle of uh, or the front part of the constellation Leo. It looks like a giant backwards question mark. So you might be able to see that depending on how dark your skies are. But that is Regulus four stars altogether over there by the moon on Friday, March the 14th. Now it is directly above the moon. And on the planet side of the le- this week, Venus is still our morning star. Oh. If- and during dawn, you can see Venus over in the southeast. It's always a nice bright thing right there in the morning for you.
0: Hey, Venus. How's it
1: going? About a little later, about 9pm, you've got Mars rising in the southeast with Spica about 6 degrees to its right. That's about the width of your fist held at arm's length. Now, they're going to be at their highest point around 2am and now Spica will be to the lower, lower right of it. But those are always a nice pair to observe because Mars is orangeish red and Spica is blue-white. So right. they're nice contrasting colors there hanging out together. Very much so. And of course, we have Jupiter. Hey! Yep, It is the only planet visible right now in the evening. High in the southeast when, you, when the darkness comes enough for you to be able to see it. Crossing nearly overhead for those in the mid to northern latitudes around 8 to 9 p.m., Setting in the west just before dawn. So, it's an all-night thing still.
0: This is cool. So, I'm, I'm playing right now, and I can yes. change the time. And that's really neat. Okay, so there's Jupiter right there. That's very cool. Yeah. I'll have to look for that one this week.
1: Yes. And, of course, you've got Saturn not to be left out mm. about 11 p.m. It'll be rising in the south. Uh, it'll be highest in the south about the beginning of dawn. But it's way to the far left of Mars and Spica. But Saturn's hanging out as well.
0: There you go. Well, very good. And Heather has all of those listed in the show notes. Just go find yourself Sidebite123. Scroll down to the bottom. Everything that Heather just covered, it's in chronological order, essentially, in the order we covered it in the show. It's in the show notes that way. So what's up in the sky? That's towards the bottom right there. Heather, is there anything else we want to cover this
1: week? Not that I can think of.
0: All right, then. Well, I'll just say thank you very much for a great show, Heather. Thank you. And I want to say thank you everyone for tuning in this week's episode. We'd love to hear from you. Go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com and click contact and choose SciBite from the dropdown. You can also find Heather on Twitter. She's JB underscore Mars underscore base. And don't forget you can subscribe to SciBite to get us weekly or catch us live over at JBLive.tv on a Tuesday. The times are up at jupiterbroadcasting.com/slash calendar. All right, everyone, thanks again for tuning in this week's episode of SciBite. We'll see you right back here next week.